Not only is it deeply fulfilling to make podcasts that bring new perspectives on society to folks, with Anchor, it's incredibly simple. It's a free podcast host with tons of creation tools that help make cut and polished podcasts straight from your phone or computer. Anchor makes podcasting simple. They distribute your work to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other major platform distributors. They come with a built-in advertising system so you can make money without a minimum listenership. It's got everything you need to make a fantastic podcast in one place. So go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello and welcome to Deconstruct. My name is Fitzgerald Pucci. There are many myths in American society that are causing us to act against our own interests, and Deconstruct's goal is to shed light and give clarity on these myths. Together, we'll trace the origins of the myths our society has forgotten the history of. We'll follow the money trail of the people and institutions who benefit from these myths, and we'll study together how each myth changed the way our world works. Our goal is to equip a listener with a multitude of lenses to see each myth with a fresh perspective and give them the power to reach their own conclusions. Today's myth, that we are only ourselves, that our one person is only one person. Folks, There are so many elements of the modern capitalist system trying to break down our immeasurable human complexity to tiny, bite-sized pieces. It is so natural a part of our cycle of living to reduce our identities that we often become nose-blind to the factors trying to remove us from the sense of deep complexity we have in our own human experience. My hypothesis as to why this happens so often why every place from the classrooms we were in when we were young, to the office buildings we work in, to the homes where we rest and eat and live in, is a classic divide and conquer strategy. Today's episode is on human multiplicity and the way it is challenged. People are conditioned throughout their development to do a lot of different things. Some folks experience rites of passage in American life, making the football team, becoming a cheerleader, learning an instrument, winning the spelling bee, acts of success that designate us to singular roles or tropes that we can be more easily categorized into. These only happen for a small percentage of youngsters, and the rest of us are left to fend for ourselves to scrape together a semblance of an identity that we were never taught to explore or express in our public school education. In the same way one is taught to throw a spiral in a football, to launch themselves into the air with a set of pom-poms flowing in the breeze, we are taught the skill of reducing our experiences into bite-sized chunks that can easily be categorized and compared to people around us. Today's myth is that this exact process is a normal and healthy aspect of growing up. Spoiler alert, it isn't. Out of all the ways we are conditioned to act against our own interests, 
This single idea could be one of the most destructive proponents of conditioned actions we take as a society. It breaks my heart. People make it through high school entirely, sometimes even move on to college and get their diplomas without ever recognizing the full extent to their identities. We have never been taught to take a look at ourselves in the mirror and recognize the complexity of our own nature. The best option that so many of us get is to avoid looking at that reflection of ourself, to ask the difficult and contemplative questions, instead to turn to the massive, to the people immediately beside us. Focus on one particular trait that could be compared between ourselves and them, and play a debilitating game with ourselves to determine which was better or worse at whatever facet we were trying to compare. We are not singular traits. We are complete systems with an incredible amount of nuance to our own experiences that deserves to be expressed as fully as we are capable of. If it were up to me, months of time spent in the first grade and onwards would be spent towards the discovery and articulation of the multiple traits and talents that make us, us. Take me, for example. I'm a smooth-talking trombone player who happens to be pretty broke and relatively simu similar to Daniel Radcliffe in height. One thing that I could do would be to recognize how each layer of the story I have to tell makes me progressively more and more unique and complex beyond the capability of comparison. I could simply be and exist without the designation of better or worse and find myself with an unshakable sense of balance and security in who I was as a person. My God, do I wish we were taught all of that in grade school. Instead, the way so many of us work, we boil our experiences down to the things we can immediately compare between ourselves and the targets of our observations. During these tense few seconds of summing each other up, nothing else about me or them matters besides that which I'm comparing. If I'm looking at a man in the room who's six foot seven while I'm five foot six, it wouldn't matter if I were holding a Grammy that I had just won in the palm of my hand. I would feel inferior to this person. If I were at a writer's conference, and we were sharing the stage to workshop our pieces, I might let the belief of my superior wordsmithing get to my head and inflate my own ego. It's important to notice the distinction between the aspects that we find superior and the aspects that we find inferior. It's important to let both of them go in the process of rediscovering our complexity. We are complicated as people. Even at our most basic functions, our hearts beating, eyes blinking, and lungs breathing, it takes a coordinated effort of literally trillions of cells working together in perfect harmony just to achieve the absolute barest minimum of life functionality. We are more than what we are encouraged to break ourselves down to. To believe that we are singular is to forfeit a tremendous amount of power that we hold to sources 
that wish to keep us feeling inferior. In a coming episode, we'll talk about how the profit-driven system we exist in currently encourages us to exist in a suspended state of inferiority, and thus to feel insecure about ourselves. To break us down to a singular entity is to separate ourselves from an incredible source of power as humans, just in the way that we are an organism. That organism is composed of organ systems, vascular, respiratory, central nervous, parasympathetic nervous, muscular, skeletal, endocrine, digestive. Each of these incredibly complex functional systems is comprised of a staggering number of organs, all playing their parts. Going even deeper, these organs are made of tissue structures and tendons, which are all comprised of smaller specialized tissues. Each of those tissues is formed by the tight cluster of cells working together in order. And it's here, when we break down the basic anatomy of these tiny, tiny versions of ourselves, we see that even the cells are organisms of their own. They have their own functional systems, made of organelles, of endoplasmic reticulums, of RNA, and protein blocks. We are truly staggering in our multiplicity. To call ourselves only one person is a heartbreaking understatement. Just in the way that we are comprised of an extensive series of physical roles and systems, our mental state is a system as well. Throughout our years, we have developed ways that we react to particular situations, ways that we have learned to focus our attention to lobby for the outcomes in life we are looking for. Babies cry for attention when they have a need that ought to be met. Folks of all kinds of family backgrounds develop tools and skills and behaviors to learn to cope with the particular dysfunctions of the people raising them. People learn new skills, and they train their muscles to memorize the particular motions necessary to make it all happen. Each of these responses correlates to a different member of the cast of players and roles taking part in our minds. Speaking from personal experience, I know there's a lot of me. I know there's a part of me that's a great public speaker. I know there's a musician, an analytic, a gentle healer. I know there are cold and severe mechanisms that my body has grown familiar with. Light and dark both exist in me, and the list of personas goes on and on. I feel quite secure in understanding that I am a man of many hats. But one of the shameful things of modern medicine is that so many doctors and psychiatrists, as well as the American people themselves, have encrusted 
a vividly paranoid definition of what it is like to employ multiple personalities. Whenever the first two words of that statement are uttered, a third usually follows, multiple personality disorder. After that, the diagnoses of schizophrenia are what naturally progress from there, along with a deep sense of fear, of danger, of instability that completely conditions us to be paralyzed with fear when we consider our own multiplicity. We are so unable to discuss the elements of this multiplicity that our country has come up with a medical condition so critical that the U.S. only feels it right and safe to lock and sequester anyone willing to view life from a multiple perspective as a dangerous person. That's just not the case. I've stood by the medical trustworthiness of large institutional bodies before, but American medicine is becoming more untrustworthy. The authority of psychologists have sowed seeds of deep panic into our idea of multiplicity. It is normal for a multitude of takes and opinions to run through the mind before making an important decision. It is abnormal to try and control our multiplicity through a series of FDA-approved psychotherapy drugs that end up causing... Sometimes they cause a lot of healing for people who genuinely need them. Sometimes they're misdiagnosed, and the effects that they have on the body and heart and minds of the people taking them can really set people back. We are being taught to be terrified of the thought of more than one persona offering thoughts at a time. But we're inundating our college-aged folks with high-pressure and high-risk decisions to be made at the age of 18. Seven years before the brain is supposedly scheduled to reach peak maturity. That's at the age of 25. It isn't normal for one being to control the room where all of the decisions are made. It isn't how our politics system works. We aren't a monarchy. We literally fought a revolutionary war to remove ourselves from the rule of a single person. If there is a throne room in your body, a place reserved for the most important decisions to be made, where is it for you? Where can you find it? And what does it look like? If there's any one being that's wearing the crown, what in the world does it look like? The ego, the singular force that wishes itself to be sovereign, will try to usurp the throne from the multiplicity we contain. There was something that came and wore the crown before our ego stepped in. And it is the duty of ourselves and our kin and our community to keep that source of guidance sustained. That source is our original form of intuition, which whispers to us quiet words of power and affirmation that can change our lives for the better if we listen carefully enough. Where do your get decisions where do your decisions get made in the body? Obviously, that role is going to belong to the brain. Within the wrinkles and folds of the prefrontal cortex, 
I imagined there to be some sort of throne room, a meeting place for the different bodies of wisdom we inhabit to converse amongst themselves with perspectives and opinions. It is here where the concept of human multiplicity allows us a very powerful tool to heighten our decision-making capabilities. Sitting back and observing a series of perspectives and opinions that come from the different aspects and experiences we contain will bring us to an answer that resonates with a far more complete perspective than if we simply were to allow our dominant patterns to temporarily seize control of our decisions and make one-dimensional choices that reflect only their perspective. If we, are to if we are able to surmount the societal fear that permeates the thought of having a balanced conversation with the multiple aspects of our consciousness, it will become far easier to operate in the everyday with a deeper, more rooted, and nuanced sense of self that cannot be broken down into insecure decision patterns and convinced nearly as easily to act against our own interests. It is when we realize that the fear behind multiple personality disorders stems from when our multiplicity turns into a battle for dominance and incorporates our inner personas that are destructive and threatening. We must recognize the parts of ourselves that we have work to do with. We must be able to recognize and hold space for them. But it becomes an entirely different matter when those perspectives take control of the wheel. This is not the standard, nor is it the norm for what a series of personas can do when they engage in balanced conversation. When we are able to tap into more than just the patterns we exhibit in our knee-jerk responses, we become whole as people to an extent that makes us all but invulnerable to the reductive and damaging human noise that our society is inundated with. What do your personas look like? How do you respond to things when you are filled with emotion? How do you wear the feelings of joy, of excitement, of purpose? How do you wear the feelings of despair or apathy or numbness? Taking the time to understand these different personas, one at a time, can be a tremendously helpful tool to get to the root of one's beautiful complexity with even more detail. By doing so, one can trace the origins of these personas and follow the trails of how they benefited us to create a new series of lenses and a fresh pair of eyes to better understand the way our emotional structure has been impressed upon over the years of our lives. And at the end of the day, isn't that what Deconstruct is all about? Thank you so much for making it to the end of today's episode. We've talked a lot about what it means to be able to grasp the complexity of our human natures, and I would love to hear back from you as to what your complexity looks like. 
please feel free to send Deconstruct a voice message or a regular DM to talk a little bit about what your experience has been like. Your complexity is welcome, and it is something that I would love to engage in bright and exuberant conversation with y'all about. So please, feel free to reach out to our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're feeling in the mood to share your identity with us, by all means, we are here and ready to hold that space for you. Pay us a visit to our link tree, where you can find all of our links for media platforms and podcast distribution places, as well as a spot where you can become a founding member of Deconstruct. Our insights and explorations are fueled by the support that the kind-hearted and benevolent people listening in give to us. Every piece of support that we get will guarantee dozens of quality, explorative episodes to come. Whether it's the price of a Starbucks latte, or if it's a fresh $20 Harriet Tubman bill, every contribution towards Deconstruct means the world to us and ensures that we are able to continue creating quality, explorative content for y'all. Become a founding member of Deconstruct today, and not only will you have our undying gratitude, you'll have special access to parts of the platform that are still in the works. Stay cool, stay sharp, and stay beautiful. My name is Fitzgerald Pucci, and this has been Deconstruct. Deconstruct.